Should you lead or do I start it off? We'll start <laughs> off with that. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's my episode this week, Andy, so back off. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Hi, I'm James. <laughs> I've already been introduced via burst of anger, but I'm Andy. This is the Midnight Narwhals podcast. Where he is mad at me constantly. I'm not mad at you constantly. Just most of the time. Well, not even most of the time. Everyone knows. Look, all of the feedback we've received is that you're the angry one. And I am the sweet, innocent one who doesn't deserve the treatment you give me. Really? Really? That's every bit of feedback we've ever received. I thought Tabitha liked me. She doesn't listen. No? We talked oh. about this. Oh. So, Our wives do not listen to this. Yeah. So, your brother? <laughs> he hasn't talked to me about this mm. in a long time. I But let me put it this way. There's not a single email that we've received that talks about me being the mean one. Did the birds aren't real people ever get back to us? No. You did send the email though, right? Um, nope. Oh, it's still Andy. sitting in my drafts. <laughs> Andy, send the email. <laughs> send the email. I just want to know if they get back to us. Well, I've only I only ever think of it when we're recording, and that is not the appropriate time to send an email because we have more important things to do. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. That's true. So if you will remind me. Yeah, I'll try to do that when this we're week. not recording. Yeah. I promise I will send an email to the birds are not real people. I'll remind you during work. That's not important. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, hit us with some good theme music, man. Midnight Narwhals podcast brought to you by one of those whistles that has the slider at the end. Oh, yeah. Uh, Willy Whistle? I think that's what it's called. I think that's what they're called. I don't yeah. actually know. Yeah. But that's what I was going for. Yeah. I don't know how. And I will say, I did a good enough job that Zoom asked me if I was playing music. Oh, yeah? Because licensing, I Wait, assume. Zoom does that? It literally wants me now to set up professional audio in audio settings. Oh, that's nice. So clearly, I'm better at theme music than you are. Well, the fact that you didn't already have this done, like I've had that set like that for every podcast recording that we've done on my end. I don't know what the difference is. It just uh, changes like some EQ stuff. Well, now I have it on. All right, awesome. I feel bad for like, that one listener who listens on his, in his car, like when he hears that, when he when he hears that theme music, <laughs> it's like is a whale dying? What's happening? Yeah, that's gonna suck for him. Uh, I actually just leaned really close to the microphone, so that was really bad audio right there. <laughs> so I was reaching down to pick something up off the floor, and my mouth was basically on the on the microphone. mic. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I try to keep my mouths off mics unless I'm leading worship. It's a good plan. Yeah. Then I, like, anytime I sing, like... Eat the microphone. I basically do. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, it is. Even even in COVID times. We mm-hmm. disinfect. We disinfect. So. How do you disinfect a microphone? Uh, so 
it depends on the brand, but you basically take it apart and uh, there's like the metal out outside. Oh thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then underneath that, there's foam, and that foam covers the actual microphone. Mm-hmm. So we basic all we're disinfecting is the foam and the metal, and we Makes sense. we submerge the metal parts in some like, um, like acetone stuff. Okay. And then the foam just gets washed with soap and wa- warm soap and water. But then like like we don't do that mid service. That's like done every Sunday after church. Makes sense. Mid service is there's just like a wipe down with with wipes, but we also everyone. Why has do you wipe down your microphone when you're the next one to use it? Typically, like it, it, like if it's that's only if it's a mic that's being shared by more than one person. Like oh okay yeah if I'm yeah I don't do that because I'm the only one who uses my microphone on Sundays, but like the announcement mic gets tossed around a few times between a few different people things like that. Fair. Yeah. So how was your week? I mean, we're two days into it, but it's been good so far. That's good. I mean, except for your your spider bite, but I mean, that could turn turn into a good thing, actually. Yes, I am very much hoping that my spider bite turns into a very good thing. Yeah. By that, I mean a lawsuit against my company who allowed the spider to be in the building. Mm. It's, uh, well, yeah, you can get workers comp for that, I bet. Probably not. If you had a good enough lawyer. Who's hiring a lawyer for a spider bite? Peter Parker. Does he? I don't know. I don't think he does. He could sue Oscorp. He could, but he's not gonna. No. Well, an Oscorp would probably actually win corporate Mm -hmm. lawyers and stuff. Might answer corporate lawyer. I don't think she's ever lost a case. Could I hire her for my workman's comp? Yeah, she has her case. She has her, her, her license to practice law in the state of Florida. Perfect. My grandfather does too. He's actually already down there, so. Yeah. Oh, just call him up. Yeah. Has he ever lost a case? I don't know. I don't know much the about. The fact his... that you don't know probably means that he has. So yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to have the best. Well, my aunt's not the best, I don't think. But like. Well, geez. Yeah. Well, now we can't ask her to listen. No, I mean, she wouldn't. When we get big and have. Like, <laughs> 37 listeners she's gonna want in yeah you think probably actually no she is down there she lives in jacksonville now oh yeah she's dating a guy there i don't think and i say this not from experience but just from things that i've heard i've been i've heard there are no good men in jacksonville so she needs to lose this guy so he's a he's a dentist and he owns like three different practices two of them in georgia so maybe he's not from jacksonville maybe he just lives there still yeah he chose to move there i mean they've been together for a couple years now that doesn't mean anything that's probably a monster i wouldn't know i only see him on christmas eve it's more than i've seen him and i've been much more judgmental about him than you oh wait no i did see us i'm i met him at my wedding it was really it was really really weird (laughs) She was, uh, he was her wedding date and just like walked up and a stranger shook my hand and said, congratulations. And then my aunt's like, this is Jeff. I'm like, oh, hi. He's from Jacksonville. Hi, Jeff. I don't know you. Not the weirdest thing that happened at my wedding, but. uh, No, probably not. We don't have to get into that. Yeah, we can save your wedding for another episode. Yes, let's. Let's do that. 
I'm excited for today's episode. I am also very excited for today's episode on Bob Ross. It's not Bob Ross. Dang it! <laughs> uh, is that because I did that Bob Ross uh, thing on Valentine's Day with yep. Michaela? You did Bob Ross, and then you were like, hey, like I thought about it like a while ago, like I had it picked, yeah. all this sort of stuff, and I'm like, I know what it is. Contact clues, I know what it is, because you said it was wholesome, and that's all you told me, and then you did the painting thing on Valentine's Day, and I was like, I know it. I've got it figured out. I felt so superior. Oh, man. Like, Bob Ross is, is really whole. Like, he fits most of my description that I've given you, I anyway. I think he fits all of the description that you've given me. Yeah. Yeah, he, had, he does, actually. I mean, and he is... I think him and the guy that I'm going to be talking about, I'm, I think they'd so be friends. So it's Rogers. No. I think they would be, but I, I see. Yeah, I don't think they they lived their lives overlapped at all. When did Bob Ross die? You, like, I don't know. Yeah. See, I don't know. I don't, I'm, this episode is not about him, so I don't. I didn't look up all these facts about Bob Ross, so I don't know. He died July fourth, nineteen ninety five. So it was in the night. Okay, Happy so yeah. Birthday, America. Yeah, uh, their lives then are overlapped, but I'm. They would have been friends, but I don't know if they ever like actually interacted with one another. This is also odd because this is my first like episode that I've done about a person. I feel like everything else it's I've pretty done. Pretty easy. Been... Yeah, yeah. All of mine practically have been about a person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm excited. You already. I mean, you do. Once I get like three sentences in, you'll know. You'll know who I'm talking about. It's Britney Spears. It's not Britney Spears, even though I, I did watch a documentary about her this past week. About yeah, so did like the whole world. Her conservatorship or something yes. like that? Yeah. That's messed up, man. Uh, very much so. Yeah. However, I've already set that up for all of my children, so. Oh, yeah? Yes. Well, I'm sure you'll be a better conservator than Brittany's father. Oh, no. I plan on being the worst possible. Oh, yeah? I want to give them plenty of reasons to need counseling in the future. Oh, yeah. Well, most parents do that anyway without even trying. Yeah, but see, I think it's better because I'm putting out the effort. Mm. That's very kind Can't of you. Can't call me a dead bat, deadbeat <laughs> bat. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome. Let's dive in. 59 years and one day ago, at the time of this recording, a man, wow. was, a man was born. February 22nd, Ninth- some year in 19-something. February 22nd, 1962. Lynn okay. and Bob Irwin had a child. All right. I am so down for this. So, yes, so much. (laughs) So I introduced my children this past week. Oh, yes, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, yes, this child was named Stephen Robert Irwin, a.k.a. Yes, he was. The Crocodile Hunter. Crikey. Crikey, yes, this is what we're talking about today. And also the title of this episode. Yes, it has to be, absolutely. So, yes, Lynn and Bob, uh, they were his parents. Uh, My in-laws, by the way, are named Lynn and Bob. Really? They are. Oh, that's that's cool. I've met your in-laws. They they seem like they could, like, have, like... They do have a lot of animals. Yeah, they seem like they could have, like, a a crocodile hunter kid. Like, type child. I could see that. Yeah, Yeah. I could see that. It didn't happen, but I could see it. Yeah. So, uh, Bob Irwin made his living fixing toilets, sinks, and showers. He was a plumber. 
and uh, Lynn helped deliver babies at a hospital. She was a, a maternity nurse. Oh. But both of them had, like, passions for, like, wildlife, conservation, rehabilitation. Bob was a, a herpetologist. Uh, so, yeah, herpetology is a branch of zoology concerned with the study of amphibians and reptiles. Uh, so, like, the dad loved animals specifically amphibians and reptiles and the mom just liked taking care of of animals and rehabilitating them both of them passed down those passions to their son steve and the Irwins lived in fern tree gully victoria uh in australia down under aussie 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 oi 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 um they lived there for eight years uh, until they decided to make their passions their occupation uh, and so they moved to Queensland, 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 probably Queensland is how it's best pro- more pronounced there. You didn't look that up before doing this? No. I, Our I think Australian too. listeners will crucify you for this. The only relationship I have with an Australian. No, he's not listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I'm called Andy is because I'm an Australian. Yeah, we've talked about that on this podcast. Did we? Yes. Oh. Never mind then. There's that good old Andy memory that uh, that I'm... never fails. Nope. Yep. Very consistent. Yep. So yeah, they moved to Queensland uh, to open up the Birawa Reptile and Fauna Park in 1970. And I it's know what again? Birawa, and that's how I know that's how that's pronounced. Birawa. Birawa. Okay. It's spelled Birawa, W-A-H at the end, but it's Birawa. Biro. Uh, Birawa, like Birawa, Birawa reptile and fauna park. Uh, it's in Birawa is like the part of Queensland that it was in. Oh well, uh, yeah, I knew that. Of course. Of course, yeah. Uh, so I, and park is is uh, it's being generous. It, it was only two acres, uh, and it was <laughs> it was originally an avocado packing uh, facility. Uh, okay. That, and uh, yeah. All five of the Irwins, because there was two other, uh, Steve had two sisters, um, they... Tragically murdered by crocodiles. No, yeah, no. I was like, because then the crocodile hunter name really pays off well. Yeah, yeah. Because then it's all this whole story of revenge and getting back at the crocodiles, but okay. Yeah, so they lived uh, on the property, uh, all five of them. In basically what was what amounts to like a camper, okay, like an RV for most of the 70s, uh, and so they lived there as the 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 Birawa Reptile Park slowly but steadily grew. In visitors or landmass? Both, yeah. I mean, you. I think you start with visitors before you can afford to like grow in landmass. But I mean, initially it was just like a bunch of snakes. And they didn't have like crocodiles at the beginning. It was like small reptile stuff. But and then avocados. All, yeah, there was. I'm sure there was a bunch of avocados. But then also, I think they had some baby kangaroos, some joeys that Lynn. She actually nursed a few of them, like from like they were kind of sickly, and uh, she brought them back to health in these little like homemade pouches that that she would make. So it like replicated an a actual kangaroo pouch, but. So it was, did yeah. Lynn hop around when she had them in the pouch? No, I, I doubt it, but yeah. Well, then why even bother trying to replicate the pouch? I don't know. If you're not going all the way with it. Yeah, I don't know. 
but uh, but yeah, this was his life. Uh, you know, he lived essentially on a zoo. Uh, that's where he grew up. And all of the animals that they got, they captured and hunted themselves. Like they, they're like it wasn't like, hey, let me buy this animal from like this place and bring them in. Yeah. It was no, like we rescued them um, or we caught them and we just brought them back here. And uh, it wasn't like this is a cage that we keep you know this in and that in it's just like i mean it's two acres and so they all kind of just everything's out yep basically so here's the poisonous snakes and the kangaroos Mm -hmm. and i'll be honest i'd pay to watch that fight dude i so i've been to a zoo um i think it's in tennessee and it's it's got it's like one of those zoos where you can do like you drive in your own car and you can roll your window oh, down yeah. feet. but then also there was a part of it where it they just like it was like you walk around and the animals are just out and they're really accustomed to the humans now it's not like crazy wild animals there was basically a bunch of goats it was like more like farm animals like a petting zoo kind of like but with but less organized like i've been to petting zoos where it's like now you go in the into the goat pen and but no it was just like so it's like you're, you're at a farm basically like, yeah hey, i went to like my neighbor's farm yeah but I'm, I'm trying to imagine that but just with deadly australian animals which are most animals in australia i think that's all animals in australia <laughs> yeah because the kangaroos oh yeah they, box you. they'll box you koalas will give you chlamydia Yep, we talked and about that. And everything else is venomous. Pretty much, yeah. So yeah, that was the zoo. That was the it was the fauna reptile and fauna park there, um, and that's where they grew up. That was life for them, the Irwins. Uh, now Steve was quite the unique and adventurous boy. Uh, he grew up loving all wildlife, especially reptiles. Khaki shorts. Um, yeah, well, you know all that. I mean, I think he was like that was like born in khaki he was shorts. born in khaki shorts. Yeah, but he he caught his first venomous snake at the age of six, and it was a common brown, which is one of the most venomous snakes in Australia. Yes, I just uh, I literally just watched a video this past week about of, him of him in the Australia, common brown, like him going around Australia and like capturing the ten most venomous snakes. In yes, the yes, we'll talk about that. One of them. Yeah, so um, yeah, he he was six years old. You have a six-year-old, don't you? I have a six-year-old. Yeah, imagine her catching a, a venom. I cannot. Yeah. Uh, you probably shouldn't. Like, uh, as a good parent, like I would say, maybe don't encourage that for your children. But it was the 70s in Australia, so, yeah. And they lived in a mobile home. Yeah. No, an RV. They an RV, RV on two acres of just reptile, reptile infested land. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's age six, catches this venomous snake, and he would also, like, like, he would arrive late at school because, you know, like, him, his mom would be driving him, and, like, they'd see an animal on the road, and he would make her stop, and he'd go out and catch it for the zoo, or he'd try, or, like, if he saw something injured, he would want to take care of it, and so, like, he was commonly, like, just late to school, I mean, because I'm sure you can't, I bet you can't drive a hundred feet in Australia without coming across something like, oh wow, look at that. Oh wow, look at that. Like the world is a zoo and all. I've never been to Australia though, so maybe it's different. But yeah, <laughs> the way you're describing Australia, yeah, is as if there are animals 
like piled up on top of each other, just everywhere. That's well, like you need snow plows to go along the roads to move the animals out of the way of the cars. Maybe not modern day Australia, but but Australia 59 years ago, I could see it being like that. And I, even I'd say, I mean, because most most Australians live on the east coast of Australia. Yes. No, but hardly anybody, unless you're like an Aborigine, live in like the center mass part of the continent. Yeah, it's all because it's all desert. But yeah, like there, I'm sure in the more wilderness areas, there's a, a ton of because it's it's wonderfully conserved. Like it's it's not like. I mean, I'd say, like, you know, in the U.S., we've got our, our state parks and things like that, which mm-hmm. are are taken care of. But it's, it, I'd say they have a, a higher standard and a greater respect for the wild in Australia uh, today. Well, that's today. because everything in the wild will murder them. Yeah. And yeah. wants to. Yeah. Whereas here, we have kind animals. For the most part, yeah. Like sheep. Yeah, sheep are dumb. <laughs> They're super dumb. Yeah. Dumb enough that a dog, which is also a dumb animal, can... can uh, Tell them what to do. Tell them what to do, they yeah. They do it. Yep. Idiots. Yep. Does now, Australia have birds? Yeah, Australia has birds. And they're real, because... Uh, I just wanted to check. Yep. So, uh, also, apparently he wasn't really the most popular kid at his school. Uh, you don't say. The yeah. kid with snakes in his shorts is not popular. Yeah. Yeah, so he actually famously caught like during recess, he caught venomous snakes out in the out in the recess yard, put them in a in a in a little knapsack, and then brought them on a school bus, <laughs> and was uh, suspended from school because of that. Which I mean, you expect nothing less. Like he wasn't doing it in like a mean way. Well, of he course was not. Yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, the whole time he's probably trying like. Croy, she's so beautiful. Oh, look at this pattern. That's I just would. I can't do Australian. I was so British. I'm yeah. Gonna try again. Yeah, it was. It wasn't done out of uh, out of any sort of malice or anything. Like he was just he was just curious, and uh, he genuinely loved nature and wildlife. And so he's doing all this, and he's growing up. And yeah, like most kids are more involved in like sports and skateboarding and surfing and fishing and 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 other things and and he's just not like he he was just so enamored by the wild and had a great love for it and so um his parents saw that and they they nurtured that they fostered that that passion that they saw and i mean it clearly worked out i mean we're talking about him yeah uh so i mean erwin Steve, there's lots of Irwins here. Uh, Steve became involved with the park at a very young age in a multiple numbers of ways, from like just park maintenance, cleaning up after some of the animals, taking care of the land, but also taking part in like animal feedings. Even at that young of an age, at the age of six, he was gifted a 12-foot scrub python by his parents for his birthday. What? He named it Scrubby. That sounds like a six-year-old name. Well, I'm it's kind a, of disappo- I'm kind of disappointed by that. By that, it's, name. A, it's a scrub python. Yeah, but I'm still kind of disappointed by that name. Yep. Just there are so many better names. Mm-hmm. Coils. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't see Steve being a real like punny guy. 
Um, he was very, very clever and quick-witted, though. Yeah. But I don't think, like, punny necessarily. No, not necessarily. Yeah. But uh, he had actually a close call with Scrubby. Um, his mom had to actually, like, unwrap Scrubby from him when he was, like... I think he was a little older than six. But, like, pythons, they constrict their mm-hmm. prey, and they had... Like, I say they. Scrubby had wrapped around Steve, and every time you you exhale and your chest uh-huh. compresses more, they take they take that as an opportunity to compress. He couldn't even get a word out. And uh, Lynn just happened to see it and was able to, like, get him free. And, like, so he That's got to a- be a strong lady. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To be like, you know what? Let me uncoil this python. However, you know, it's maybe that whole, like, superpower mother adrenaline thing. Sure. I'm sure that's part of it. But also, if you're used to handling animals, like, you have to be, like, you have to be strong at least enough to, like, all right, like, like I know how to handle this. Like, um, and, and yeah, a, a seven-year-old is only going to be so strong. But, which, I mean, I guess kind of is a weird segue into the next part of the story. By the time he was nine... He was helping his dad catch small problem crocodiles hanging around, like, boat ramps. Okay. He would help by jumping on top of them in the water and wrestling them (laughs) into the dinghy. At nine. At nine. Supervised. Now, he was supervised by his father, but still, a nine-year-old crocodile wrestling. What that sounds like to me is either a lazy... Or a terrified dad who's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, well, he learned a lot from his father. So, I mean, his father, who's still alive. Yeah, he's up in the boats giving tips. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, helping, nope, nope, too. To the left. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, and also, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about crocodiles, too, further in. But, like, they have, like, insane chomping power. Like, bite mm-hmm. down. But, like, in terms of opening their mouths, like... Like, you or I could hold a crocodile's mouth shut with just our hands. Oh, I do that all the time. But there's no way, like, there's a, like their attack position is mouth open. Because they know if their mouth's open, they're good. But, like, if like even a little thing could keep them from opening their mouths. But if it's already open, they're, yeah. Yeah, it's so, like a mousetrap. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. He basically from age nine started wrestling and wrangling and hunting crocodiles that Uh, is the right age to start yeah and so all the experts say yeah and so he he's apparently always had this and his parents say said this in in multiple interviews and stuff he's always had this uncanny like sixth sense when it came to wildlife um but like it was so focused in on like crocodiles specific like he had such a understanding of them and, and, I mean, he spent his whole life, like, honing in on it, too, and, and just in general, wildlife and animals. But, I mean, I guess if you're nine and you're you're getting up close and personal with these animals, yeah, you, you, you tend to learn a lot about them. I would think um, so. Yeah. So so that was the 70s. Uh, moving into the, the 80s, uh, the wildlife park had doubled in size, so it's now four acres. Ooh. It had two full-time staff. And it was mom and dad. I think, I think not including them. So I think there was two other full time staff. Yeah. Oh. Um, and it was rebranded as the Queensland Reptile and Fauna Park. 
I guess just because it was getting a little bit bigger. They're like, we well, represent they have all to say Queensland. fauna. Yeah. Because kangaroos. Sure. Uh, kangaroos and crocs. Like, that would get people in. Like, yeah. feed the kangaroos to the crocs. Make them fight. <laughs> I'd watch that. Yes. Yeah. I need to run a zoo. <laughs> I have management experience. I'll, uh, I'll I'd go in on that business venture with you. That'd be Let's fun. Let's do this. Yeah. I'm in. Enough podcasting. Yeah. We don't need Th this. This isn't going anywhere. We can just live stream <laughs> fights between different animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that worked out great for Joe Gazotic. I think he did stuff like that. <laughs> hey, he got his own Netflix special that he did. everyone in the nation watched. I he think did. it worked out fine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. The jail stuff. Yeah. At this stage in his life, Steve was spending months on end living in the most remote areas of North Queensland, catching problem crocodiles before they could end up being shot by, like, poachers. Um, and so that's kind of where he kind of started to call... I mean, he never called himself the crocodile hunter, but he would say, like, I'm hunting crocodiles not to kill them or poach them, but to save them from people that would kill them or poach them. And we're bringing them back to our park or we're relocating them like hundreds of miles away so that way like the landowner or the peep the townspeople or the po or whatever are they feel safe and the animals still safe mm -hmm. uh, so it was sort of like a best of both worlds thing but does the uh, animal feel safe well i mean it's probably safer than if it had a gun to its head um, i don't know if it would understand that maybe not maybe not i think it'd be like why are you poking me with this metal stick and then not thinking anything at all. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. So, also, crocodiles can, like, find their way back to, like, their their home turf even after you move them, like, hundreds of miles away. They have some sort of, like, So that's why thing. they're always on the roads for him to pick up on the way to school. Yeah, yeah. They're on their way back home. That's what, they're, that's what they are. Um, I don't Do know how that works. that's the standard joke in Australia? Why the crocodile? Why the crocodile across the road? Across the road? Maybe I, they got chickens there. I bet to get to the other side. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was what he was doing in the '80s. So he's like a he's like a teenager uh, right now, and on top of just like living in the forest and catching crocodiles, he was also enlisted by the Queensland government to help officially with crocodile management. I uh, super thought you were about to say he was going to the army. No. And I was like, I did not know this part. No, he 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 never served in the military. Um, but he he worked for the Australian government on many occasions. Um, and uh, and with the Australian military and with the U.S. military on multiple uh, multiple things like training stuff, training wise. But he's he, what you do if you're ever in a swamp with a crocodile. Yeah, basically. And also, like, just teaching, like, okay, troops, we're going to go into this ter this type of terrain. To help us prepare you for this type of terrain, what to expect with the, like, wildlife and also just, like, what to do here. We brought in Steve Irwin. He's going he's gonna to come and teach you. Like, the U.S. government did that. Um, there was, like, a base in Florida, and they brought him out there. Uh, to teach them how to handle crocodiles, alligators, but also what to do in certain 
uh, scenarios. If there was multiple troops and one crocodile, like, hey, here's how you guys can kind of like take like take care of this. If it's just one on one, like you just get out. Like it's not like a, oh yeah yeah. Um, but also they would teach him stuff. You know, like hey, this is kind of what we've learned, and this is how. If you yeah. shoot them here, they stay. <laughs> but yeah, so. He started working for the Australian government by volunteering for the East Coast Crocodile Management Program. Okay. And captured well over 100 of the scaly creatures, which were then either relocated or housed within the family's park. So, like, for me... The park's got to be really big with all these crocs yeah. they bring in. So, like, for me, if if I had... To, like, if, if I had any sort of, of hand in capturing one crocodile... You probably would not have a hand. Well, yeah, I'm just like that is going to be brought up at every social engagement for the rest of my life. I will never let people forget that I wrangled a crocodile, ever. Like, e like even if all I did was just like the smallest bit of amount to help, like I, I helped, touched it. Like, yeah, like I don't care. Like it's being. He's like 17. And has got like hundreds of them under his belt, like, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, it's a normal Tuesday, Mike." Like, it's just, you know, this is my life, uh, and it's it's just astounding to me, like that that's what he's dealing with as like a teenager. That's what he's doing. Well, um, and you know, like these army guys in America in like fifteen years, like, wait a minute, yeah, like they're good. Now all of a sudden they're like, no way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's insane. So. That was his life. Steve and his best mate, Wes Mannion, uh, worked countless hours caring for the wildlife and maintaining the grounds at the park. Um, I didn't realize that Wes was there that early. Oh, yeah. Wes was there basically from the start. Like, very early on in the 70s, Wes started working there. And he, I mean, Wes I mean, was... he outlasted Steve. He did. And it, Wes still Dedication. actually... Yeah, he still actually works for the, for the park. He's still very much active in, it's now called the Australian Zoo, which we'll get to that, but like he's, he's still very much there. So yeah, Wes was there. Also, um, his dog, Suey, uh, she, uh, she was there with him on most of his anim animal adventures. Yeah, that, that was what he was doing, you know, just loving life, loving animals with his buddy Wes and his dog, Suey. And was Suey a dog breed named Sue? I don't know, maybe. Because that would fit his naming conventions yes which are lacking yes now at this point we're going to kind of take a pause on on steve's life and we're going to travel 7410 miles northeast to eugene oregon here in the good old us of a okay didn't see this coming nope terry rains was born on july should have seen this coming 1964 <laughs> Uh, she was the youngest of uh, of three daughters uh, of environmentalist parents. Uh, for our listeners, I am doing air quotes around environmentalist because that's what it it had on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, her family owned a long haul trucking business, and during her childhood, so her clearly not concerned with the. Environment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. Diesel fuel. Yep, her father would bring home uh, injured animals from the highway uh, that he ran over, on which his trucks traveled, um, and, and this eventually instilled in Terry um, an ongoing commitment to like saving and rehabilitating wild animals. Trying to rehabilitate her father's image. Yep, 
daddy issues. <laughs> now, while working in the family business in 1986, she started a rehabilitation facility called Cougar Country to re-educate. Yeah, to re-educate and release predator mammals such as foxes, raccoons, bears, bobcats, and cougars back into the wild. Uh, soon, she was handling up to like 300 animals a year that were like wow. coming coming through Cougar Country. And in 1989, Terry joined an emergency veterinary hospital as a veterinary technician to gain even more knowledge in how to care for and support all these animals. In addition to all of that, she also owned 15 cats, (laughs) several birds, and a dog. (laughs) So, Steve married a crazy cat lady. Yeah, well, and I say cats, cougars. One of these cats was a cougar she had rescued from someone selling cougar cubs through a newspaper ad. She saw Did she name it Coogie? She saw no like she saw the newspaper ad, was got like got suspicious, went and saw all these cougars being like they're like emaciated, like barely being fed. And so she bought them just to save them. But when she's feeding them like she's supposed to, they're growing rapidly. And so she has all these big cats and uh, doesn't really know what to do with them. Now, at this point in my research, I was hit with memories of Tiger King. Um, As you, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and a question hit me. How I'm many just, of her lovers committed suicide? Well, no, I'm just curious, like, would Carol Baskin approve of Terry's ownership of, like, the cougar or not? I don't think she would. Is this open for a debate right now? Yeah, yeah, go for it. No, she would not. Okay, why not? Which, uh, this is not a debate because we're no, green yeah. completely. But, yeah. but why not? Because that means Carol Baskin doesn't have the cougars. Yeah, that's yeah. She's all. She doesn't like anybody else having big cats. But if she has them, it's okay. It's totally fine. Yeah. Also, I'm curious if Carol Baskin likes the crocodile hunter. Since she's a murderer and all, I guess she doesn't, but... She's rooting for the stingrays. Oh, I bet I bet she planted the stingray. I bet she... <laughs> Heard it here first, folks. Yep, I, that's my theory, yeah. Carol Baskin. Carol Baskin! Yep, she she killed her husband. I don't know the rest of the song, but I know what you're trying to do. Yeah. Carol Baskin. Yep. Okay, I'm... I'm, I'm... <laughs> this cougar had grown too large for to take care of, on, like, on her own. So, so she, it took care of her. Yeah, so needless to say, she she had a lot of on her plate. Like, she was working for her family business. She was also doing cougar country. She also took care of, like, this big cat and other, like, all her other pets and stuff. Life was hectic for Terry, and uh, she needed to take a trip. So in October of 1991, Terry took a trip to Queensland, Australia, to do some research on wildlife relocation and rehabilitation specifically for big cats like she's like maybe because i'm you know i'm just out here in oregon maybe i can bring my big cats here she couldn't like that's you can't fly with these animals and there's not really a great way to train what if you purchase a seat for them yeah i don't i mean it was the 90s it was pre 9 11 so maybe they could get away with it i don't i don't know you get those like secure airport security didn't pay attention to nothing yeah i bet you could probably get away with it actually but but yeah so she was doing Put research. Put a coat on those things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Them up. Yep. <laughs> Put them on shoulder to shoulder. And yeah. Just and say. <laughs> just, just walk them right on through. 
I mean, it was just a metal detector. As long as they didn't have their collars on, you're fine. Yeah, that's that's good. That's nothing could go wrong in a pressurized metal tube, thousands of feet in the air with with coo- wild cougars. Better than snakes on a plane. Cougars on a plane. This... That could be all kinds of a movie. Uh, yes, it could. <laughs> Back to Australia. So she's in Australia for a week, and um, she had some like, connections there. She had some friends there. Well, during her trip, they're like, "Hey, let's go to the Austri- let's let's go to this park um, in Queensland. There's a guy there that does like these cool crocodile shows where like he feeds them." And so she goes. She hap- now also that same year is when Steve like officially took over management of the wildlife park. Like his parents retired, and they officially retired in '92, but they like were very hands-off in 91, and Steve was running the show. Uh, so Terry attended one of Steve's live croc-feeding shows at the park. and Saw acor- those thighs and fell in love. Well, according to the couple, it was love at first sight. And there's an interview that I watched like three weeks ago when I initially was like, I'm going to do this. is This is going to be my next episode. And I, I couldn't find it like a few days ago. And I was like, oh, man, I want to like show some videos too. I couldn't find it for the life of me. Oh. But so I don't know if I just lost it or they took it. I don't see it why Maybe it would not. be. But no, so it was an interview on 60 Minutes Australia. And it was Terry and uh, Steve. And they were talking about like that first meeting. And Terry talks about just being enamored. Like, wow, like that's the most attractive man I've ever seen. And he loves animals. And then she's like, and then he bent over. And I was to pick up some like raw chicken for the crocodile, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I gotta get me some of that." <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's that's basically what she said. And and then Steve on the like he's just got this big smile on his face the whole time Terry's talking, and he goes, "Oh yeah, I'm I remember looking out at the crowd and seeing this Sheila, and she and I'm sorry for my poor accent, but Better uh, mind. yeah, and." She was gorgeous. And then I started thinking, man, actually, there's a wild croc in here, and I could die at any moment. So maybe I should focus in on the croc here and get back to the Sheila later. And uh, and so after the show, they they interact, and instantly they just, like, fall in love with one another. Like, it's just love at first sight, really. Here's a quote from Terry, actually, after her first impressions of, of Steve. I thought there was no one like this anywhere in the world. He sounded like an environmental Tarzan, a larger-than-life superhero guy. Wow. Yeah. Like, how, like, I get how at this moment in time you can have that thought about him. Mm Mm-hmm. Because at this point we do know he is, like, a superhero sort of figure, blah, blah, blah. At that point, he's running, like, six acres of an avocado farm that happens to have reptiles all over it. Well, in everything I've seen, Steve was Steve. Like he was, there was never like a like an off and an on. Oh yeah, and so he's very pure. That's why everyone loves him, is because he is exactly what you see. Yeah, and so even then, like he seems like the type of guy that's like even when it was two acres, he was probably just as excited then as he was like even in like at the park's peak success when he was alive. Like he was he was the same guy. So I mean, I could see someone being like like. Just 
positive people and people that like care and that are like like that like people are attracted to that like i could see that i could definitely see see i could understand that really and they they shared similar passions you know like steve's passion for reptiles was matched with like terry's love for predatory mammals they were like kindred spirits but I mean, yeah. I feel like those two would combat each other a little bit because, no, I'm into, like, warm blood and I am into cold-blooded creatures. Well, it's also, like, an opposites attract thing because Terry, I mean, this is going to sound mean, but she's boring, especially compared to Steve. Like, in all the... boring compared to Steve. Everyone is boring compared to Steve. But also, like, just, I mean, she she had no experience with, with reptiles at all. And... Which is normal. Which, yeah, of course is normal. <laughs> and, like, she's just some American veterinarian that was on vacation, essentially, in Australia. And falls for this guy. And he falls for her. And, yeah, it's very much an opposites attract sort of thing. But they both love animals, just in general. And so, they have this kind of, like, foundation that they can, they can like, hey, like, we love each other. We both love just nature animals. wildlife animals let's do this thing so it was a whirlwind romance they were engaged only four months later wow yeah and eight months after that but did she stay in australia for that time or are they like writing letters back and forth across the pacific yeah no they she did not stay so they were engaged four months later and eight months after that uh they got married so i'm just yeah i, I even mentioned this in my little like like run down here. Like I'm just, I'm amazed that a relationship blossomed so swiftly over such a long distance in 1991. Like it's astounding. There wasn't FaceTime, social media, you could, there's no texting, even like a long distance phone call. Like you you mentioned like you like writing. Like it would have been an like astronomical fee to call from the USA to Australia. Like, you might as well just make the plane trip over. Yeah, so she was only in Australia for a week when they first met. Wow. Then she she flies home. Two weeks later, she flies back because she's, she's so enamored with him. And Are they still, like, 20? So, yeah, 62, 72, 82, 92. So, like, they're in their mid to late 20s at this point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah. this isn't like teenage crush sort of thing. No, like this is like this like, is okay. yeah. I'd say this is pretty like this is it. You know, which I mean, be like if if she's nineteen, then I can understand like some of this like <gasps> yeah, like and 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 you know also be like, daddy ain't gonna pay for her to fly back across the planet yeah. in yeah. two weeks. Yeah, no, they were they were mid to mid to late twenties, early thirties at this point. Okay. Um, so yeah, they. Well, I wonder why they hadn't ever found anybody previously. I don't. I mean, that's such a so shocking. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were probably both just kind of busy with life. Nerds. Um. Outcast. People that are that into animals need to find someone that is also that into animals. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice way of putting it. Yep, that is a nice way of putting it, and. Uh, yeah, I don't want to bully Steve. I don't want to bully the Crocodile Hunter, so no, I'm not. I don't. I don't want to say anything bad about him. Yeah, because so. he was such an important part of my childhood. Like I adored this man. Yeah, and still do. Yeah, they don't make 
people like him anymore. Like you, and I don't, didn't then either. No, he was such an anomaly, and it, like if if the world needs anything in twenty twenty one, it's Steve Irwin. Like it is the crop. Like we, the world would be a much better place if Steve was still in it. Like I'm, I'm very much of of that mind. And that's why we're starting the campaign right now to kill all the stingrays. Yep. And to reanimate Steve Irwin. Um, I think also that's, that. Yeah. Yep. I think science has gotten to a place where we could feasibly do that. But What if we reanimate him as an aquatic robot? Oh, my gosh. To then go enact revenge upon <laughs> all stingrays. No, see, the thing is, like... I know. I, I would. I'd watch this movie. See, I'd watch it, but also like, and That's I say, I say, knowing Steve, like I know Steve, but we did know Steve because he was the same guy. Yeah. Knowing Steve, like if I could talk That'd to be his the ghost, first animal he'd go back to. He'd yeah, go right. He'd back go right to back to it to show us how beautiful they are. And he would apologize for scaring the stingray that uh-huh. killed him. He, he would, would. He would. That that was the type of man he was, and ah, uh, yeah, he's a saint. Any, moving on. So they they were married after um, 12 months, basically. That's just crazy. You know somebody, then a year later they got married. So they were married in Eugene, Oregon in, on June 4th, 1992 at the Methodist church that Terry's grandmother used to attend. Oh. Um, and then Terry actually had some problems with her visa, so she actually had to stay in the U.S. for like two months before she was able to like actually move to Australia. But... Most couples do like a honeymoon. Yeah. They didn't do a honeymoon. Their honeymoon was exploring Australia and filming the first Crocodile Hunter episode. Which, I mean, it, what they didn't set out to like, hey, we're going to start a documentary called The Crocodile Hunter. They were like, hey, for a honeymoon, let's actually just go and like do some crocodile hunting. And so... Terry, who has ne- who has never been around crocodiles and like reptiles before, is being led into the wild, and like there's footage of her freaking out because like oh my gosh like this guy who I met a year ago is telling me to like hop on this crocodile <laughs> with him, and I just have to do it, like my husband's telling me <laughs> to jump on this crocodile. Just imagine. <laughs> like, I just, if I took my wife and I was like, hey, jump on this gigantic reptile. Yep. The marriage would be over. I think if most people two took days their, in. I think if most people took their wives, like, <laughs> to, um, yeah, so, I mean, and also you got to picture, like, she has upended her life for this man. She has moved across the globe 7,000 miles away from her family. To just start a new life with this guy. And happy honeymoon. Here's a crocodile. Jump on its back. Now, there's also... I mean, there, and the, the crazy thing, too, is, like, this was the... This became... Like, the footage they got from this this trip became the first episode of the Crocodile Hunter series. So, like, we can go back and watch it. Like, like it's it's out there. Like, you can watch this. And they... Like, the other things happened on the, on this, on the episode. They found a... A dead, like sixteen foot, uh, crocodile that had been shot by poachers and just oh. left, and like the, it's the two of them next to this dead crocodile, and Terry is just like, 
she's heartbroken. I mean, they're both heartbroken, but like she's just like, why would anybody? Like it's just a waste, and and it was awful to see. But then, I guess like some a silver lining to that, like they go and the poachers had like they go to the nest where the the babies are, and the poachers hadn't gotten everybody. I say everybody, all the all the baby crocs, and they were able to rescue a few of them. And crocky. Um, I think they kept a few. I don't know exactly, but like, I think they just were like, "All right, cool. We're gonna give these back into the wild already, like right now." But so it, it had some ups and downs that first episode, yeah. uh, definitely. But the they they recorded all of it, and they actually so Steve had been recording himself with wild animals since 1988. Wow. Um, and it all started because. Steve's dad, Bob, would, like, tell stories to, like, his buddies, like, oh, yeah, my son's doing this with the, these wild animals. Like, he's getting right up close to this, like, common brown. And uh, and they're like, no, no way Steve's doing that. Like, that's that, that would kill him instantly, basically, like, if he got... Mm-hmm. Like, no, my son is doing that. And so he goes up to him, he's like, he's like, Steve, you got to record yourself the next time you're out doing this with the animals. And... Just so I can show my friends and tell them you're not a liar. <laughs> That's why he started recording himself. So he became what we know in terms of public figure because his dad had to impress his friends. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right then. Yeah. So he had already all this footage, but he wasn't doing anything with it. Like it was like home. Yeah. It was like home movie stuff, right? So they they took all these recordings and they they were hanging out with a buddy and. And his friends like you should like make this a documentary like you should do something with this and they thought it'd be like a one-off and so they 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 sent it out to some places and uh, it actually debuted in Australia in 1996 and a year later it debuted in America on the Discovery Channel and that became the Crocodile Hunter series like it was so like episode one comes out. Which was just supposed to be like a one-off thing and Australia's like man, you should make more of that. So they did and Then the Discovery Channel was kind of hurting uh, And they're like, man, we're we don't really have anything. We need something and They're hearing stories of this crazy guy in Australia (laughs) and they go and check it out They're like wow, we like this guy. We're gonna bankroll him basically and Mm -hmm. um, And so the crocodile hunter becomes wildly successful in especially in the United States and the UK, but also in over 130 countries. Wow. Yep. Irwin's exuberant and enthusiastic presenting style, crazy broad Australian accent, and signature khaki shorts, khaki shirt, and Timberland boots. Absolutely. The catchphrase "crikey" became world known worldwide. Like I was in '96, I was 11. Yeah. Well, actually, I was 10 for most that year. And I remember like 96, 97, somewhere right in that range. So 10, 11 years old being introduced to Crikey. Yep. And just losing my mind. Yeah. Because, it, okay, so for instance, I was re like, so this past week with my kids, I pulled up some of the stuff, was re-watching it, and even watching it now, and it's of course like the footage, it's not high quality it's dated yeah but i'm still just like why is his face that close to that snake mm-hmm. 
Get your face away from there, Steve. Don't you know that can kill you? And of course I know, no, they don't. They don't kill him. They don't get him. Yeah. But the insanity of it, like if you haven't actually seen it, you just, you don't, like it was such a stark reminder to me of just truly how crazy and just mind blowing it is even after I've already seen it. Like yeah. I already know his his thing, but yeah. I saw it again fresh and new and just, wow. Yeah, I had so much fun doing research for this. Like this was like, like it was filling up portions of my my days these last few weeks of just like, like I'd, I'd be in bed just watching clips or I like even at work today, just to keep things fresh in my mind, like in between jobs, I was pulling up like, like, like little clips of documentaries or like little, little snippets of things on YouTube or even like other podcasts that are talking about this. Like I, I was just so, I, I so enjoy who he was, what he did and how he did it. Because mm-hmm. even like, there's been, there's been stuff that's like, we're going to try to do this, you know, a little bit like Steve and it's okay. Like I've never been like a nature documentary guy or like a wildlife documentary guy. Like I just, it's just, but the way something about Steve, like the way he did it, it was very unique in that he, no one was getting like up close and personal like he was putting him his life at risk like he was. And even how it was filmed, it was very like one or two cameras. It wasn't the highest quality stuff. But it just made it feel real, you know? Like, it yep. was, you're there. Like, it's it's happening with you. I yeah, thought that was so cool. You're there in the moment with it. Yeah. And, you know, you that's why you feel the the anguish of, whoa, your face is so close to that snake. Yep. Please just move your face away. Like, there's, there's one clip specifically that, and I think, I bet you've seen it if you watch this, like, the 10 deadliest snakes thing that he did. But he's out in, in the outback. And he's up close and personal. I think it is a common brown. And he's literally lying in the dirt. And he's just letting it crawl. Like, to the point where it licked him. It licked his face. Yes. And to point out how, like, if you don't provoke this animal, it's not going to bother you. And it's not going to attack you. It's not going to kill you. But if this does bite me, I'm dead. Because we didn't bring any anti-venom. And this, this thing has enough venom to kill 11 of me. So I'll be dead, like, for sure. And he's just lying there so calm, so insanely calm, as the snake is crawling all around him, licks his face, and he just, he crawls back and walks away. And it's just, no one one, no one in their right mind would do that anyway. But, like, no one's doing that now. Especially in the day, like, which, now that it's all about, like, I'm going to get these views, I'm going to get these likes, I'm going to get, the, like... He was doing it to teach, and he was doing mm-hmm. it for a very noble reason, which was awesome. So now there's a purity to it, yeah, that you yeah. don't find like no, because like watching even watching some of like the interviews and stuff that he did with late night hosts and whatever, just like even in those he comes across as like that innocent wide eyed kid, and it doesn't ever really go away, you know, like, and it's because that's just purely who he is and yeah. it's, it's just astounding yep but yeah so he um he that's who he was and that's what it was like and that's it, it took off sir david attenborough praised steve Irwin for introducing many uh, to the natural world saying and i'm not even going to attempt to do a david attenborough right, you just have to be a bit 
Um, he taught them how wonderful and exciting it was. He was a born communicator. And Attenborough was like one of Steve's heroes. Like, a, like that was like, oh my gosh, you're saying that about me? Like, this is insane. I'll just listen to yeah. David Attenborough say anything. He yeah. can mean things about me, and I'll gladly listen. He's great. So Steve and Terry would go on to film over 300 episodes of The Crocodile Hunter, Croc Diaries, Croc Files, New Breed Vets, Ghost of War, and Bindi the Jungle... Or, Ghost of War and Bindi the Jungle Girl throughout the early throughout the 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> Bindi the Jungle Girl. Yep. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yep. So these programs have been enjoyed by over 500 million viewers worldwide. Like, the reach this man had. Which, I mean, we're still talking about him in 2021. And He's been dead for a while. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't... Well, and not only did he film documentaries, The Crocodile Hunter would also be a common guest on late-night talk shows like The Tonight Show or Late Night with Conan, and he'd often bring animals for the hosts and the audience to interact with. Um, I watched several clips of him on Leno with... Um, there's a clip of him giving a lizard to for Leno to hold and the, the, Leno, the, the lizard pees on Jay Leno's jacket, which makes me happy because I don't particularly Absolutely. like Jay Leno. Um, and... There's uh, a video of, of him doing a, um, a snake um, ultrasound on Conan O'Brien, um, which was fun. Uh, it's also one of, the f- one of the few videos of him not in his, like, khaki everything. Like, he's in blue Wait, jeans. Really? And, yeah, he's in blue jeans and a blue polo tucked in. Whoa. And it's because he was doing, he was doing promo for this show called New Breed Vets that they did where they were actually doing like surgeries on animals and they bring it up in the like Conan brings it up he's like I don't think I've ever seen you in in short or not in shorts and and he, uh, Steve talks about it like yeah we we go into these surgeries right and uh, the doctors they don't really want all this exposed skin because they don't want these skin particles to fall off and flake into the open abdomen of these animals and it could cause bacteria and stuff so they give me these pants to wear and I mean, I don't know. I don't think they look too bad, do they? Uh, like, um, like again, so wholesome. Like, just so uh-huh. wholesome. And uh, it's like you never see him like that. He's always in his khaki jumper, basically, uh-huh. and it, it's it's awesome. Like, that's who he was. And so it wasn't just documentaries. He was doing stuff like that. And he also has a feature film. Do you know about this? I might. In two thousand two. Steve Irwin starred in a feature film called The Crocodile Hunter Collision Course, uh, which was released to mixed reviews. Uh, in the film, Irwin, who portrays himself and who performs also numerous stunts, mistakes some CIA agents for poachers. He sets out to stop them from capturing a crocodile, which, unknown to him, has actually swallowed a tracking transmitter from a fallen satellite that the CIA is trying to recapture. I do remember this movie. Yep. Like once I see the uh, the movie poster. Yep. That up, okay. Yep. I absolutely remember that. It financially was a success. Uh, it was. It had a budget of twelve million dollars, and it grossed thirty three million. So more than doubled its budget. Which, uh, yeah, I'd, 
I I listened to a podcast where a bunch of people watched it and they were <laughs> like they were like yeah it's not a bad kids movie but it's not a good movie it's not a good movie, <laughs> it's, it's not a good movie. I think it's got like a fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes that's um, probably pretty generous which is pretty yeah honestly probably because Steve it's Irwin. Steve Irwin. <laughs> But also, and this is when I was introduced to Steve Irwin in the year 2002, Irwin and his family appeared on the Wiggles video slash DVD release, Wiggly Safari, (laughs) (laughs) uh, which was set in the Australia Zoo and featured singing and dancing inspired by Australian wildlife. Was Steve singing and dancing? I think he was. So, yes, actually, yes, he was with the Wiggles. And I now like I watched this as a child, and I vividly remember like the main song from the show, and it's one of the like it won't go away, like it's just constantly in my head, like it, it's I can I can remember it, I remember the dancing, I remember Steve popping his head around a tree, and and all the other Wiggles like being around talking about the crocodile hunter, that's Steve Irwin, crocodile hunter, that's the man, and like as that's just in my head and it won't go away and i just have to live with that but anytime now like all of us do now all of you do yes but anytime steve is brought up in the back of my head that's playing like that's just there that's it's been so there sad. i know right um but that's how i was introduced to him and then that's how i was like oh there's more here and like that's how i fell in love with steve Irwin. steve Irwin was just like the unfortunately wiggles. the wiggles but it opened my eyes and, and opened just the, like, oh, I like this guy. What else does he have? And my parents would put on episodes of The Crocodile Hunter and other things that he did. And we'd watch him as a family in the early 2000s. It was sweet. It was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, as the popularity of The Crocodile Hunter grew, Steve and Terry changed the name of their now growing wildlife park to the Australia Zoo. Uh, they changed that, I believe, in 1996. Well, they just keep getting bigger in terms of name claiming. Yeah, like, and they weren't like, hey, Australia, can we name ourselves just the zoo for all of you guys? They just did it. They were like, yeah, we'll do it. Like, this is the Australia Zoo. And their mission was to make the zoo the very best in the entire country, uh, if not the entire world. Uh, extensive efforts were made to create habitats so that all zoo animals could be exhibited in like natural environments so very let not really like glass cage like yeah gla- very very open um and that like legitimately just are like nature that they just happen to like kind of put some fencing around to keep mm-hmm. some people safe now as the australia zoo expanded so did the Irwin family steve and terry were blessed with the birth of two children uh bendy and the 19- jungle girl the Jungle Girl, in 1998, and Robert in 2003. Both Bindi and Robert soon developed a deep love of wildlife, just like their parents did. Side note, Bindi Sue Irwin uh, is her full name. She was named after a dog. It gets better. So so Steve and Terry waited to find out the gender of their, their firstborn until the baby was born. So they didn't do like they they're like we don't want to know until that which I think is kind of dumb. Like if you're as a parent, like if it's so dumb, I want to go on record as if you have ever done that, listeners. 
I'm sorry, but that was a dumb decision. It was a dumb decision. Like, you can't prepare as much. It's weird. People want to buy you People things. Buy you People things. buy you things. Yeah, it's lame. But they did it anyway. And they didn't, they also didn't have any girl names picked out. They were kind of banking on it being a boy. Okay. Um, now, you know, when she arrived, they were like, oh, we've got a name or something. <laughs> and so Steve decided to name her Bindi Sue after Steve's favorite crocodile, Bindi, and Steve's oh, no. favorite dog, Sue. Imagine going through life knowing that you were named after a crocodile and a dog. And Terry said yes. Yep. Terry said yes. He probably made sure he was wearing the shorts when he said it. Mm-hmm. Because that's probably with one away with anyway. probably with one leg like up on, up a, on little, a chair. Up on a chair. Yeah. 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 Steve, you dirty dog. Yep. Which I can't what? believe that. Yep. But once again, like as this podcast has proven, he's terrible at names. He is terrible. He's at names. the worst at names. Yep. Well, yeah, and so I watched a documentary of them of the crocodile Bindi. Bindi is like they were moving her to a different part of the park to give her a better like. It was really cool how they moved these these crocodiles too. Uh, really dangerous, but really cool. Bindi once like crocodiles like mate for life basically. They named Mindy's like lover crocodile Graham because that's like I don't I don't know that like all these crocodile names were just like normal names like just people names basically except for Bindi except for well I mean I don't know maybe maybe Bindi, that's an Australian maybe that's an Australian name yeah Bindi is current like which is weird like she's my age you know which is just weird. For me, seeing like someone my age have this vastly different life, uh, like she's so—I mean, she's Steve Irwin's kid, you know. Like, so she's just as enveloped in in wildlife and in all these things. And she's a jungle girl. And same with uh, with with Robert Irwin. Like, he's young. Like, he's what is he? He seventeen currently. Yep. Um, a 17 year old and there's video of him feeding the same crocodiles that steve did uh which i think is really cool like i saw an instagram picture of it was like a side by side and it was the same crocodile in the same it's they call it the crocosium um <laughs> that's what they call it um and it's like it's it's it, like he is so much steve Irwin's son like he if you just gave him a mullet that like you you the indistinguishable like that's it, it was so cool to see that but but to be like i can't help but wonder because number one like they of course want him to be steve like that's the whole like they are doing everything they can because I, i've watched a lot of stuff with him like i've been follow i followed robert on instagram for like the last two years yeah and you know, it's but all they do is talk like even on their show that they currently have, like all they do is talk about Steve. Yeah. And like, look, Robert's doing this thing that Steve used to do, and he can't be his own person because he has to basically be Steve. Yeah, that's hard. And I can't help but think that somewhere, because number one, like he can't be as pure as per, as wonderful as his dad. Mm -mm. Like, there's no way that he has to be. Like, I just feel like he. There's no way that he can actually be him like who's robert we don't know who robert is because robert's busy being steve 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I started thinking that when I saw like a 14 year old Robert on the Tonight Show mm-hmm. with animals. Yep. Like his dad did. I was like, oh, that's so awesome! Like the legacy is living on. Like oh, that's the super. Cool. That's we all want it. That's what, and that's what they're banking on. But yeah, bank I, comes in with that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd love to see Robert be become his own like crocodile hunter man. But maybe he doesn't. Maybe he wants to be like, like a you know, an attorney or like. <laughs> Uh, an accountant. An accountant. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I just imagine him sitting in this cubicle in the khaki shorts. Mm-hmm. That's also gotta suck. Like you're just—that's your uniform as as an Irwin. Like you have to wear that. Even you can't so, wear anything else. So Bindi Sue is married now to some guy, um, and she, well, she kept her last name Irwin, but also that some guy works for the zoo, and. Where is full on like khaki get up and like the, like like to know like you meet them and you're like oh this has to be my life now like this just that almost I mean not like cultish but almost cultish <laughs> like it's, it's a little bit yeah which I mean again you love animals people that love animals this much th- there's a weirdness to it unfortunately but oh there absolutely is a weirdness yeah. so Steve loved his kids he loved animals. Unfortunately, there was some controversy in the early 2000s that was kind of a combination of, of those two things. Uh, there's footage of him in 2003. You can look this up. And it's him feeding a crocodile while holding like an eight-day-old uh, Robert. Uh-huh. Yep. And this was also like right off the heels of the Michael Jackson dangling his kid out a window thing. Yes, yes and, it was. And so like... The media was like on the prowl for like bad parents, and for me, it, it's not the same. Like they grilled Steve Irwin hard, and first he dug his heels, and he's like, "No, like I'm a professional. Like, like that child was safer in my arms doing that than it's safer in some parents' arms just walking down the street." Like, I would, I wholeheartedly believe that. Like, Absolutely. And he even said, "He's like, you don't try these things at home. Like, I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing." And it's weird, too, because there's video of him doing the same exact thing with Bindi Sue, like, in the late 90s. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody nobody freaked out over it. Nobody called Child Protective Services or anything like that. So he dug his heels in at first and was like, I'm not apologizing. Like, I'm, I'm Steve Irwin. <laughs> my child was safe. I love my kids. Like, I'm not going to do anything to, like, put them in harm's way. Mm-hmm. And, but, like... The, the the media kept coming after him and Australia Child Protective Services is like we can take your kids away and so he ended up apologizing on NBC again apo- but he apologized but then again he reiterated like listen I grew up doing this like that's so natural for me it's 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 not something that I even thought about was a problem and I love Robert. Like, that's my son. And I'm going to do anything in my power to keep him alive, too. Like, there's no way... Like, it was it was a forced apology, clearly. Oh, yeah. But he still, he still stood his ground in saying, like, I'm the crocodile hunter. Like, <laughs> like yeah. 
and and you know it it didn't really last long like people genuinely were like okay like yeah you're fine like it like it wasn't like sticking with him like years later we're all about manufactured outrage yeah absolutely the next thing even more so today but Mm -hmm. um even back in the early aughts that was a thing so yeah there was some controversy that was really it in his life like there wasn't anything there was no there's a video of him talking to an, an interviewer and he's like yeah i don't smoke drink i don't curse i don't i don't even drink caffeine like i don't like that like it's not something like he I'm just need it. Yeah. And the interviewer's like, really? And he's like, yeah. He's like, do you, is there any substances that you love, that you're addicted to? And he, and he's like, adrenaline. Like, if you want an honest answer, like, I love adrenaline. Like, that's what I get high off of is adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And it all, he's like, I'm bored if I'm in, if I'm in a habitat with a croc and it's tired. Like, and it's not coming after <laughs> me. Like, if it's not snapping at me, I'm bored. And if it's snapping at me, Oh man, like my heart's bumping. I'm I feel alive. Like which you can see that. Mm-hmm. He's not the type of guy that like wants to just sit around all day and like let life go on and No. And um and he I mean he was he's even a hero. Like he um in 2003 was filming a documentary about sea lions off the coast of uh, Baja, California. And I guess it was like also in Mexico because I mean, they, they kind of yeah meet up there. But his team heard about some scuba divers that had like been reported missing, and he like stopped filming. He's like, "We're gonna shut down production. We're gonna look for these scuba divers." And he found one of them and saved his life. And unfortunately, the other diver was found uh, the next day, um, and he was not alive. But they saved they saved a life. Like he he cared about people. Like he loved animals, but he was gonna save people's lives. And he also knew that he lived a very dangerous life. He lived a dangerous, or he had a dangerous occupation. That he talked to, to Terry often about, you know, I know that what I do could kill me, and probably will. I don't see myself living to an old age. And and Terry was okay with that. Which I mean, like, what's that gotta look like for a marriage to know that? Like I. And to, I mean, you love your family, but also to love what you do so much that you know, like, this is going to be what does me in. Yep. And to have that acceptance and not live in fear of it, but to continue living because of it and continue mm-hmm. doing life because of that. And, and we're not going to focus on the sadness of, of this next part because that's not what Steve would do. But we are going to talk about the unfortunate passing of the crocodile hunter, which happened in 2006. Uh, it was in September. He was uh, filming in the Great Barrier Reef. He was actually, and this goes back to him not not wanting to live like a stagnant life. So the weather had been really bad for like three days in a row, and they weren't able to film anything. And so he was pretty antsy and just ready to get out there. And so the weather finally cleared, and him and his buddy, Wes, and some other people, they go out, and they were trying to record some shark stuff for a documentary he was doing about sharks in the Great Barrier Reef. They couldn't find any, but they found a bunch of stingrays in some like chest deep water. And they're like, oh, we'll we'll record this for Bindi's show, Bindi the Jungle Girl, which was coming out the next year. And so they get some scuba gear on, they get most of their shots done, like they they record for a while and they're getting ready to pack up. And Wes is like, all right, man, let's bring it in. And 
uh, Steve's like, oh, let, let's do one more shot where I'm coming up from behind this big stingray that, they, that was there. And my presence will alert it and it will swim away toward the camera. And that'll be like a great shot for the for the documentary. And uh, like that was the plan. And that that's often what they would do. Like Steve would set up like, here here's the plan. Here's where I want you to stand. Here's what I need you to do. And it, they wouldn't just like off the cuff go out and oh, yeah. record random stuff. He was very organized, and so they go out and they—that's what Steve does. He he swims up behind the stingray and he startled it, and uh, unfortunately the stingray—it has a barb, um, so it's actually a pretty fleshy tail, and the barb really only comes out if it feels alert and startled. And the barb even is not even at the tip; it's actually in the center of it, and it's not just like it stabs you once. It stabs you like hundreds of times within a few seconds. Yeah, they're crazy. And it has a toxin on it. It got Steve right in the heart, but he thought it got him. It got him in the lung. And the 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 stingray swims away. All Wes sees, who's filming, is just like a cloud of blood start to like surround Steve, and he freaks out. And it's chest deep water, so like he he drops everything and he just runs to him. And they get him in a boat, and they they try to get him to the hospital. And like because it had it pierced his heart, he, he went into cardiac arrest, and they, they couldn't save him. And uh, he was pronounced dead on arrival at the at the hospital. Uh, cause of death: cardiac arrest from a stingray attack. And Wes has come out and done an interview since 2006, talking about some some of these final moments. And uh, he said Steve was at peace. He said he, he he didn't lie about he he knew he was. Yeah, Wes, I think I'm gonna die. Like I think this is I think this is it. And unfortunately, he was right. And that was a very sad day. It wasn't long before news spread. Terry and the kids were actually out hiking in Tasmania uh, on that day. They were having a pretty cool day um, when they when they got news. And uh, of course, they were sad. And again, Steve would not be surprised. Uh, he would not be mad at the stingray. He would he would say like, yeah, that's what. That's what happens. He would probably use this as a teaching moment and then talk about how these creatures are are very typically calm and docile and, and they only attack when provoked and it, it felt unfortunately felt provoked by Steve's presence. So but so many great things have come from Steve's life. And again, we're not gonna harp on like the sadness of that, but it, it, it's a reality of the story, and I, we couldn't talk about him without bringing it up. I don't think so. I agree. Yeah, I remember where I was when I found out about him dead, like dying. Wow! So this is like your Pearl Harbor. Very much so. 9/11. This is my la- This is my nine eleven. I was, I was very sick, and it was like four a.m. and I had gotten sick, and I was still. I mean, I was eight at the time, and my mom heard me throwing up in the in the bathroom and she um can do that yeah and so um she came in to check on me and was bringing me like cold compresses and and stuff and she's bringing me magazines to read because i'm just like i'm posting up in this bathroom like i'm Mm -hmm. i'm i'm so sick i'm not going to go back to bed to like just have to get back up and throw up and again. No, if I'm puking and I made it to the bathroom, I ain't leaving until yeah. I better. And that Period. cold, that cold tile of the bathroom is just oh, it's so nice. Glorious. Yes, it's nice. But I'm just so exa- like I'm I'm not gonna read this magazine to myself. And so she, being a lovely mother, decides she's like, well, I'll I'll read 
uh, some some mag- like some article from this magazine. Oh, this one's about Steve Irwin. You love Steve Irwin, <laughs> and um, it had to have been like a month after. Because I mean, an eight year old doesn't watch the news. Like I'm, I, no. and it was about that. And she's like, oh no, and she tells me, and she tells me the story, <laughs> and I was just like, that was my first time where I'm like, whoa, like death is like a thing. Like he's just gone. That's really sad. Not my first time, but like. Like it was, it hit me. It hit me hard, so it much so. Gut punch in the stomach. Gut punch in the stomach. It made me throw up. <laughs> it was sad. I, I I was very sad, and like I, I just so vividly remember, just as vividly as I remember the Wiggles singing about him, I, I I too remember sitting in that bathroom being really sad when I found out that he had died. Wow. I was in college. You were in college. I was 20 when that happened. Mm. And I remember, like, because I found out at school. Like, I was at school in between classes. And one of my friends was like, hey, that's so sad about Steve Irwin. Mm. I was like, what happened? Dang. I I somehow had just not seen it because, of course, I mean, texting wasn't really a thing at that point yet. Sure. I mean, it did, but it was T9 predictive texting and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Nothing nothing like we, we do now, but, you know, so just news wasn't going around, anything like that. Like, Facebook had just begun. MySpace wasn't sharing news. Yeah. You were too busy ranking your top eight friends because that was a healthy exercise for all of us. Yep. And and just going, wait, what? No. And so then, you know, it's you, you try to find video and stuff online, which back then it was not easy to find. I think it was an art class is what I had next. I like I sat in the back of that classroom before it began, like had to plug my laptop into the internet because there was no like I didn't have Wi-Fi. It was like you had to actually like plug your laptop up and and like searching all this stuff, trying to find any sort of video, like what actually happened and, and parse through all that stuff. But I, I just remember going, wow, no, like this is horrible. Yeah. Because knowing, you know, I'm not going to get to enjoy this crazy crazy dude doing crazy insane things yeah again like it was that realization of he's gone like dude no more like you don't mm-hmm. get you don't get any more and we were lucky to get as much as we did from you know when he was doing all his crocodile hunter stuff and and again like the impact that he has made still to this day is so intense and prominent that like like i said we're we're talking about it 15 years later the australia zoo is still this massive thing and we're following his son on instagram and and like talking about stuff that he's doing and the irwins i'd say if their goal was to raise awareness for environmental conservation and awareness about just the reality of how awesome and how respected certain creatures should be (laughs) If that was their goal, was was to do that, they have vastly succeeded. Like absolutely, one hundred percent, they have succeeded. And hats off to them. And uh, you know, Steve smiling down, hundred percent, just being super proud. And I've got some notes on his memorial service, which happened uh, on September 9th. Actually, they had a private service on the ninth. The public memorial service was on the 20th it was held in the australia zoo's crocosium which is like of course of course course. it was it seats 5500 people and then the service was also broadcasted to over 300 million viewers worldwide i did not watch neither did i um because i found out 
like a month, a month after later. it happened. <laughs> but, um, uh, I went back and watched it. Beautiful service, very, very kind, very loving. It was very much a, like, we're celebrating this man, we're not mourning. It was uh, introduced by Russell Crowe, who was apparently, like, a really good friend of, of Steve. Wow. Which, for me... Just solidifies the the belief that I have that like if you're an if you're a famous Australian like you just have to be friends with other famous Australians. Um, I think like there's, there's like a there's like a club. He introduced it and kind of like hosted it throughout like via satellite. Unfortunately, I think he was in like somewhere filming something, and, but and wasn't able to fly there. Which to me, I'm like, dude, if he's if he's your best mate, like you go there, like you go to that Absolutely. sir. Yeah. But he's hosting it and. What he said was just, it was very well done. To this day, Russell Crowe is very close with the Irwin family. And there was actually some rumors that, like, him and Terry Terry had, like, Ooh. dated on and off uh, throughout this last decade. Yeah, both of them deny, but do say that they both, like, they have a love for each other. Like, Russell's like, I love the Irwin family. Like, I love those kids. I love Terry. I love Steve. I don't know. I think I think they dated. I think that was a thing. But that's the life uh, and legacy of Steve. You know, Steve is is well known to this day still. Um, the Australia Zoo still has millions of visitors a year. Roads <laughs> um, surrounding the area and all throughout Australia have been uh, named after Steve. November fifteenth is the official Steve Irwin Day in Australia. Oh. Um, I think you even. I think people they even get like they get off work for that day like oh, like we would get for like a president's day or a memorial day or something like that like he was such an unofficial ambassador to to australia and then also for wildlife he was super well loved and this super awesome guy and i loved researching him and talking about him talking to you about him and i'd encourage you guys our listeners to watch a ton of his videos like you watch one and you'll Oh, you want to watch more. Yeah, you want to watch more. So, are you looking up the Russell Crowe thing right now? What? No. <laughs> I, I, I bet that's not what you're at like. all. Uh huh. Not at all. Sure. Last month, Russell Crowe all but confirmed the couple were together. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Where am I now? Russell Crowe wrote to which one fan, excited fan replied, visiting Terry Irwin. Mm hmm. They got together. Yep. Which, I mean, it's been 15 years, you know? Mm-hmm. She can move on. It's fine. She can move on. So, yeah. I'm I'm glad you were just as excited as I was to talk. Like, I would have oh. been I would have been worried if you were just like, oh, yeah, like, just just Steve <laughs> Irwin. Like, yeah. Even if I was, I would have faked it. Yeah. But if there was no faking. No. My love for Steve Irwin is genuine and real. As it should be. Except for his ability to name things. What did your kids think of him? You said you... you they like, love him. That's great. Because something came up just kind of randomly. Like I was just like YouTube on my phone and something popped up with, I think it was Robert. And so I was like, oh, cool. My kids love animals. Let's like, I've because I'm a big nature documentary guy. I think because of Steve's influence on yeah. me as, as, a, as an 11, 10 year old, you know, like all like planet Earth and blue planets and basically our planet, like all of those sorts of shows, I will watch them over and over and over and over and over again because they're incredible. So yeah, and I just love learning about nature and I love watching it. And my kids have all seen all those shows, and so I was like, oh, you know, here we'll watch something. You know, here's this here's this kid who's you know got all these animals and he's talking to somebody else about them. And 
So I was showing my kids that, and they're like, oh, okay. I said, and actually, like, his dad is the guy who really, really did all this. Like, what? So I tried to explain sort of, like, what happened with the Stingray, and then I pulled up pictures of St- or, like, videos of Steve, and then we just started watching videos of Steve for, like, the next hour and a half. Yeah. And one of them was the 10 Deadliest Snakes one. So, like, literally within, like, four days, I watched the thing where the snake's, like, licking his face mm-hmm. and it's the most venomous snake in the world yeah and you're going okay okay please stop <laughs> yeah it's it's outrageous i i loved watching the where they would relocate the crocodile mm-hmm. and so graham the crocodile that is like getting it on with bindi um, uh-huh they apparently like he had a really close call with with that croc uh, when he was feeding him back in like 98 um, he was feeding him and when Graham like jumped up to to latch onto the chicken he caught a piece of Steve's hand and dragged him to the water but I guess when they were in the water Steve like stepped on Graham's head I don't know how that worked there's video of it and I'm like man like I just like, you see it happen, and you're still like, I don't know how that worked out, but... Mm-hmm. Um, and you just Steve walk away, you just see Steve walk away, and he's he's got a little blood on his hand, but he's fine, other than that. But apparently, like, Graham hates Steve Irwin. <laughs> um, and you can see the hatred that this animal has for Steve in... Well, is in, that how Steve got the uh, croc tooth in his, like... Because, like, he had, like, I watched an interview with him this past week where he was talking to, I think it was Conan, mm-hmm. about how he's still got in his hand, he's got a crocodile tooth embedded in his hand still yep. that they just never removed. Yep, that's Graham's tooth. That's crazy. Yep, and so he they joke, they're like, like, Graham's got a taste for Steve's blood. <laughs> <laughs> but Bindi is his favorite croc, so it's like this weird relationship that they gotta have. It's like, yeah. Bindi's my favorite. And unfortunately, since you guys mate for life, I guess I got to deal with you now. And and he caught Graham when Graham was that big, like a foot long. And now he's this 20-foot crocodile. And they had to move him to a... They, they were going to move the two of them to a better, larger enclosure within the park. And so what they did is... And how they would do this is they've, they've got this thing called the croc box. And it's this long box depending on the size typically between 9 and 20 feet long and they bring the croc up and they've got these ropes that don't look strong enough to be doing what they're doing like no ropes look strong enough no. to do this but they're like i mean i don't know it's like a, it looks like a shoestring technically well. compared to this large animal but and they they put it on the edge of a stick sometimes they wouldn't even do that they would just kind of lasso the top part of the jaw when yes. it would be an open attack position and then they'd cinch it and then they'd get another one on there so there'd be there would always be at least two when they're trying to control this animal it's just crazy and there'd be like 20 guys wrangling this one crocodile and uh, Steve would be right there and the croc would obviously try to like roll and, and do some other things to get it if it if it tried to roll, then they would just all jump on the on the crocodile, and there'd be like nine guys on this crocodile. Steve always at the head, uh-huh. with his hands clamped down over this this animal's jaw, 
and they bring the crock box in and they run the the little lassos like through the crock box out the back of it there's like a tiny hole where they could pull the strings from and then they would get the box as close as they could to to the the head of the crocodile and then instantaneously like they would be like count of three like we're all running off and as soon as we're like at three we're running off and there's like eight guys on the other end of the ropes to try to pull it into the box too and they would get it into the box close up the other side of it and then transport that box sometimes they've done it by helicopter they've transported the box by truck sometimes they've carried the box by hand like a casket and (laughs) they've also most recently robert uh did this with uh like a 17 foot crocodile yeah i watched that Um, video yeah where they did it by crane and i thought that was really cool um but still uh i i loved watching those things and it was so cool to see and yeah there's this like this animal commands respect like (laughs) it can kill you like that and not even think about it and Mm -hmm. there's there's nine guys that are like 250 pounds each of mostly pure muscle like these guys aren't like fat and and oh yeah lazy like they're fit and they're put not only putting all their weight they're also trying to keep this thing down and this 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 animal is just still like making them work for it hard and um i thought that was so cool and so interesting i also really like i like i like alligators better than crocodiles but it's still so they're still so cool mm-hmm. um well thank you for sharing yeah man Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. Always. Yeah. I mean, I'm contractually obligated. Yeah. We're not going anywhere. No, we're right here. Yep. In your eardrums. Forever. So thanks for listening to uh, the Midnight Narwhals podcast episode on the crocodile hunter, Steve Irwin. I've been I'm Andy. We both said it at the same time. We did. Yep. We can try that again. Cool. I'm Andy. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm James. Um, Thanks for listening. We'll talk at you next week. Yep. Yep. We will. Goodbye, Mike. That's a thing. Crikey.